Hello and welcome to the Harvard EdCast, a series of conversations with thought leaders in the field of education from across the country and around the world. I'm your host, Matt Weber, and today our guest is Aaron Castro, Assistant Professor of Educational Leadership and Policy at the University of Utah. She recently published an article with one of her former students as part of the Harvard Educational Review Symposium, The Intersection of Education and Incarceration. One of the things that makes this article so interesting is that Dr. Castro's co-author, Michael Braun, is an incarcerated post-secondary student who Dr. Castro previously taught through a university prison education program. Their article is made up of a dialogue between the two of them where they discuss the possibilities and limits of critical pedagogies in prison. Unfortunately, Michael Braun is unable to join us today, but welcome to the EdCast, Aaron Castro. Thank you so much, and thanks for having me, Matt. So, Aaron, you know, I think people would be really interested to know the process of co-publishing with someone who's incarcerated. What was that process like? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and I also, I also want to say, you know, just kind of draw attention to the fact that Michael can't be with us today. And I think that, that's really important to kind of ground the conversation about critical pedagogy in prison. It's kind of where we end up going in the paper. Um, about some of these larger um, bureaucratic obstacles that kind of prevent him from being able to take part in this um, today. But, yeah, so we, um, I, gosh, that was years ago when I taught through the Education Justice Project um, at the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign, and um, at that time I was teaching a kind of social cultural foundations um, of education course. And out of that course really grew some wonderful conversations regarding the purposes of higher education in prison, particularly during a moment of kind of mass or hyper-incarceration. And at that point in time, EJP, um, the Education Justice Project, had been in operation for, um, oh, I don't know, four or five years maybe. And Michael had written a really, really thought-provoking paper in the class essentially critiquing critical pedagogy. And we started, you know, through drafts and through scaffolding, kind of having this conversation um, about, you know, what critical pedagogy looks like and then should look like in prison. And so after that class ended, um, EJP has a really lovely infrastructure in place to kind of support some um, scholarly collaborations like this. And so um, after the course ended, him and I um, decided to kind of move forward with this project and got permission um, from the director at that time and used some of the resources available um, on the inside. And what that means is that there's a, um, a resource center um, at Danville Correctional uh, Facility where students can go and get access to books, um, have access to an academic tutor and a writing tutor. And so even though the course had ended, uh, Michael was still able to um, utilize those resources as part of that project. Um, and then, you know, a few months later, I moved here to Utah. And so the majority of this, um, after me leaving Illinois and after the class, was really written um, in dialogue with a number of people who helped. Uh, you know, this paper has been through the hands of many people um, back and forth um, so that him and I were able to um, communicate by, um, you know, four or five people removed, but by email and by um, snail mail, um, kind of trying to get drafts back and forth to one another. I think that's just such a fascinating process. And I'm curious from your own sort of academic, but also from your, your just own personal thinking and how that's developed about what can be achieved 
in terms of critical and liberatory approaches to education with and for incarcerated students based on your dialogue with Michael? What, what can be achieved? It's a, it's a really great question. Um, you know, I learned a lot in this process. And, you know, this, this has taken a while. This is now, gosh, three or four years in the making. And, um, you know, for anybody who, who reads the piece, you'll, you'll notice that him and I very much at the beginning are, are disagreeing about this, you know. Um, and at the kind of at the crux of um, Michael's kind of contention with critical pedagogy is this um, statement that he is unable to access um, information freely, right? As an incarcerated person, he is not able, you know, to get online and to read a newspaper. And it's also really difficult for him to get his hands on information in general um, because of screening processes and all sorts of um, impediments to being able to kind of have access to the outside world. And so for him, that was really part of the challenge in um, in kind of instructors like myself who would kind of embody kind of critical, emancipatory, anti-oppressive kind of approaches um, in the prison classroom, because for Michael, as, as he you know, outlines in the paper, um, that kind of rests on an assumption, and the assumption being that the very kind of habits that we want students to embody, um, critical thinking, right, um, uh, questioning authority, kind of the habits and dispositions that we want students, you know, who move through kind of critical pedagogy to kind of embody in the world, um, as incarcerated people, that's really difficult to do. Um, and so kind of what I have learned through the course of uh, the last few years kind of conversing um, with Michael and working on this scholarship uh, is that, you know, as someone who's never been incarcerated, right, I have absolutely no idea um, what that means. And I think one of the biggest takeaways for me in this work is that I don't think we have a really great answer to what critical pedagogy um, can do on the inside. I think what we try to do in the paper is to put forth some things to think about about what it should do um, and then absolutely what it should not do. And, and this is, I think, one of Michael's really wonderful contributions in the paper is that, you know, if as um, people who describe themselves as critical pedagogues or, you know, anti-oppressive educators go inside the prison classroom with a set of assumptions that we use, you know, in non-carceral spaces and spaces on campus, um, those really don't work on the inside. But those set of assumptions just don't, um, it's, those set of assumptions don't exist on the inside. And so what are those assumptions um, that, that for someone like myself, as someone who's not incarcerated, who's never been incarcerated, um, what are those assumptions on the inside? And, and part of what we put forth is that it has to come from the students. Um, I have a lot of learning as, as, as an educator going inside of a prison. Um, as opposed to, I think, sometimes what we uh, try to embody in non-carceral spaces. Um, so I don't know if I actually answered your question. I don't think we get to a, a huge conclusion in the paper. We raise a lot of questions. Um, but I think part of the spirit of the, of the scholarship is to caution um, people like myself, you know, people who have had uh, experience or who can continue to teach inside prisons, um, to really kind of think about the, the methods and the practice of critical approaches to teaching and learning and what those should ultimately do inside prison classrooms. Yeah, you, you certainly did answer my question and, and so much so much more too. You know, I'm interested in those who who are not working with incarcerated students who, who don't have 
uh, that calling uh, who don't work with in, in prison populations or incarcerated areas. Uh, what do you want the average reader who, who reads this uh, Harvard Ed Review piece to learn from your dialogue? What are a few sort of simple takeaways that you'd want uh, the sort of person who does not have the, these touch points of working with incarcerated uh, students uh, to, to sort of take away from reading this dialogue? Yeah, well, um, thank you for reading it for everyone who does. Um, you know, I think one of the challenges um, for for people who who do this work, and by that I mean, you know, people who are running programs, teaching on the inside, um, working with kind of quality post-secondary programs in prisons, um, is that there's this, there is this myth, I think, this grossly inaccurate perception of what's possible inside a prison. Um, and that's the result of all sorts of, um, you know, legacies of policies and um, you know, all sorts of um, all sorts of things. We could talk about that all day. Um, but there, we tend, as you know, somebody who studies higher education, we tend not to even think of higher education in prison as quote-unquote higher education. It's correctional education. It's post-secondary correctional education. Um, and so I think, you know, first and foremost, uh, what I would really love readers to, um, to think about is, you know, what is currently happening inside prisons across the United States. And please, you know, don't, I, this is not happening in a lot of prisons. We don't have a ton of programs right now. Um, but I think our, our imagination as non-incarcerated people, particularly as people who have never been incarcerated, you know, what is it that we imagine a prison classroom to look like? How do we imagine engagement and relationships and dialogue? And, you know, I think if, if people could read this and um, maybe challenge some preconceived notions about what we think is possible inside prison, I think that would certainly be a start. Um, we have, um, you know, at EJP, uh, we, if you go onto their website, there's a number of collaborative um, scholarships listed. Um, and so these are students who have spent years taking um, advanced courses in educational theory and statistics um, and politics. Um, so, you know, these are scholars, um, and we're engaging in scholarship. And so I think just to kind of have folks recognize that these things are possible inside prisons and co in collaboration with prisons. And so um, kind of what does that then mean for how we should be approaching post-secondary education in prison across the country? Yeah, that's great. And, you know, last question. Why do you think it's important for, say, scholarly journals like Harvard Educational Review to highlight the intersection between education and incarceration? And not only what does that mean to you, but in your conversations with Michael, what does that mean to him to be a co-author in an HER article? Gosh, you know, I can't even begin to attempt to answer latter part, I, you know, I just want to highlight again, you know, there's just really no good reason why he should not be able to participate in this podcast. Um, there's no, there's really no wonderful explanation for that or a logical one. And I think that, um, that really has to be a part of this work for those of us who are invested in teaching inside prisons and kind of thinking about um, programming inside prisons in the post-secondary realm, um, you know, we really have to work to re, um, to address mass incarceration and to address prisons in general. Um, so I, 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 I want to say that and to kind of also say, you know, I don't, I can't, I can't speak for Michael. Um, and um, so I wouldn't want to do that, but I, 
you know, in terms of publishing the scholarship, it's huge. Um, this also speaks to, you know, and Michael's certainly not the first, won't be the last. There's a, a number of incarcerated scholars who are producing, um, uh, who are writing wonderful work. And so I think by highlighting through the symposium, highlighting kind of the, um, the intersection of um, post-secondary education and prison, um, it's as one way to kind of um, help us address this uh, huge problem that we have of over-reliance on prisons and kind of the proliferation of um, mass confinement. And I think for me, education is, is one way out of that, um, you know, is one way to address um, a system that is not, is prejudicial and biased and is, is not working in our collective best interest. Aaron Castro, thank you so much for, for your, your thoughts, your wisdom, and, of course, your scholarly work uh, and for appearing on the EdCast today. Um, and please send our best and our gratitude towards Michael Braun next time you speak to him. I will. Thanks again, Matt. This has been the Harvard EdCast, a production of the Harvard Graduate School of Education. By the way, Harvard Educational Review's two-part symposium on the intersection of education and incarceration appears in the spring 2017 and summer 2017 issues. Features essays, research articles, and poetry that bridge the two spheres. You can subscribe to HER through Harvard Education Publishing or find it at your local academic library. I'm your host, Matt Weber. Thank you kindly for listening. 